Welcome, and thank you so much for tuning in to Rock Church's message. We are so excited that you are here today. We hope that you leave today encouraged and know that you are loved by God. Many years ago, I went to a pastor's conference, and I've shared this on multiple occasions. And Max Lucado was a speaker. He had a huge picture of Jesus on an easel right next to him. And he said, the title of my message tonight is this. It's, it's not about you, and it's not about now. And I thought, this is a pastor's conference. This, this seems like a strange topic to have. It, it's not encouraging. It's not about you, and it's not about now. And as we travel through life, I think that we find the truth of that, the reality is that it, when it's not about you and it's not all about now and it's not about your circumstances, but rather focus on others and Jesus, that life changes for us. Things are different. We, we experience the power of God to overcome anything when it is not just about us and not just about now. One day, a certain old rich man went to a rabbi he knew because he was questioning in his life, what is life really all about? And the rabbi said to him, I want you to look out the window today and, and, and tell me what you say, Mr. Rich Man. And the man went over to the glass and he looked out the window and he said, well, I see men and women and children. I see all kinds of people in the street. And the rabbi said, now I want you to look into this mirror that I have brought. And the man looked in the mirror and he said, the rabbi said to him, well, Mr. Rich Man, what do you see as you look into the mirror? And the man said, I see myself. And the rabbi looked at him and said, behold, in the window is glass and in the mirror is glass. The only difference is that in the mirror, there is silver covering the glass. And the problem is, when silver covers anything, you cease to see others, but you see only yourself. Money has a strange way of getting to us. A preoccupation with money on a regular basis is the certain and fast way to destruction. It is not that money in itself is wrong. It is that when that becomes something that all you do is think about all the time, how that I can make a few more bucks and how that I can plan for my future so that I will be secure, you have certainly now become someone who is all about you and all about now. If you've been with us the last several weeks, we're in a series on love. Hard love. What is love? Because most people don't even have a clue what real love is. 1 Corinthians 13 is our text. And it says there in verses 4 through 8, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love, true love, never fails. 
it does win. When you see beyond yourself and you understand that there's more to life than just yourself, there is no greater week out of the entire year for us as believing followers of Christ. This week, we call it the Passion Week, the week that we think back as to what Christ actually did for us. It's monumental to the life of a Christian. Jesus died and rose from the grave, and we celebrate that this week. And you could picture that week in the life of Christ as he came into the streets of Jerusalem and people were so excited by what they expected and hoped would take place with this possible Messiah. They had waited so long. And he's walked down these streets. They picked palm branches, much like these, and fanned them. They were in such awe and adoration of the Savior as we say that we are. They said, Hosanna to God in the highest. Those very same people, that very same week, would soon be crying out, Crucify him! Crucify him! He claims to be the Son of God, but he does nothing to save himself. Himself. Self. He did not come to save himself from pain and hurt and rejection. Not even to be what the people wanted and expected him to be was the earthly king. He came with one thing in mind and stayed focused on it during his entire time on earth. And that was to do the will of the Father, which was to bring salvation and redemption to us. Hallelujah. Praise the Lamb, right? Hallelujah. Praise the Lamb. He deserves a round of applause, does he not? How about it this morning? Yes, God, you do. A man by the name of Robert McGee said this, true character is revealed in the choices a human being makes under pressure. The greater the pressure, the deeper the revelation the truer the choice to the character's essential nature. It's not about me. It's not about now. It is not about our selfish whims and needs and desires, the things that we think we cannot make it without, because if God is truly the one who is redemptive in nature, he will always bring you back from whatever you get into, if you desire that. So I had to think all week about this characteristic of love. It is not self-seeking. Self-seeking. And I, I thought to myself, well, what, what is self-seeking? Because we're all self-seekers in many ways. We all want to get ahead. We all want to have prosperity in our lives. We'd all like to have healthy marriages and, and children that turn out to be good kids. We'd all like to save ourselves from all the things that are out there which hurt self. 1 Corinthians 13, love is not self-seeking. Verse 5, also translate this way. It does not insist on its own way. You will always be able to tell, even in the life of a Christian, which Christians are living for self. Because they insist 
on it being their way. They insist on, on getting their demands met. Self. And it also means this. Self does not, love does not seek the things of itself. When you really love someone, you die to yourself and serve them. My wife was very sick this week. She had strep throat. And she was so weak that at times she was moaning. And all I could think of to myself was die to you. Because without her, you'll have no joy. Oh, I will with Christ. But I don't want her to be sick. Because I love her. How can I serve her. When I think of selfishness and self, I think of my last trip to Vietnam and all my trips, because I've been there about 23 times, and, and I, I think of Koreans, it's, it's a short distance from Korea to Vietnam, so a lot of Koreans use this as their vacationing spot, and there are a lot of really wealthy Koreans. And so every time you see Koreans because they're fair-skinned and they don't want to get tans because tan is a sign of a farmer, not a rich person, you'll find the people in Vietnam, the girls always dressed from head to toe, completely covered, and we're blazing in the sun. We're sweating like crazy, and we're seeing them riding their, their bikes down the road completely covered, and I'm thinking, that's insane but they're concerned that they're fair. Girls in America, I guarantee you, the tanning booths of Grand Rapids have been busier this past week than any time of the year because everybody wants the sign of beauty. Ah, a tan body. Those tanning beds are like a coffin. First time I got in one, Every couple seconds, I looked to see if anybody was coming in there with some kind of straps to lock me in there. Self-seeking. In Vietnam, the Koreans come, and they all have selfie sticks. Whoever invented that was a genius. They all have selfie sticks, and they have them way out here, and they're going, ha, <laughs> They're standing on the edge of the pool with the pool in the background, taking pictures, but they never get in. I say that to the guys all the time. I don't understand it. Why wouldn't you actually want to enjoy the pool instead of just taking pictures and making people think you're enjoying it? Reminds me a lot of our Christianity. We like to look like we're enjoying God when we're not. God is enjoyable. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is freeing. Purity with Christ makes you happy. You're happy when you're holy. A funny thing happened this week. I was thinking about this when I was thinking of selfie sticks because my wife was really sick, and I sat in the front room with her during the evening, and my boy Josiah is a lot like his dad. He's kind of a prankster type dude, you know? So without Becky knowing it, and oh, gosh, with kids, you have no idea what they're doing with your phone. He had Becky's phone, and she was laying there. <sighs> you know, when you're sick, you just lay on the bed, and your hair gets greasy, and everything goes south. He had her phone. He took a picture of her. And later, and he actually said this to me, honey, she looks more like her brother Bobby all the time. <laughs> They're twins. They ought to look alike. 
He took a picture of her, and Becky tried to get rid of it. She tried to delete it, and she didn't realize she sent it to her Facebook page. I wanted to have it this morning to put on the screen. <laughs> but I love her too much. I don't want to embarrass her. You ever been in that position where you're thinking, I hope nobody sees me because I think I'm dying? That was, that was one of those moments. Love does not seek the things of self. Paradoxically, actually, it's like this. Greed grows from ignorance or unconsciousness of oneself. Greed comes out of the fact that you really don't know yourself and you're not secure in who you are. So addiction is a form of greed. Addicts always want more of what gets them high, what gives them pleasure, what enables escape from anxiety or suffering themselves. Selfishness does not get at the core of our inner struggles. It masks them with the desire for more. Oh, if I just had a little bit more, I'd be happy. No, you won't. If I just had another two feet on my boat, then I'd be happy. If my boss would just give me $2 more an hour, I'll never say a word again. Not true. See, we always think, because we don't understand our self, that if we can just satisfy our self, everything will be better. And I would propose this that if you would die to self and think more of others and of God, you would be satisfied. Someone once said, selfishness is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. We all get caught up in that. Everyone does. Everyone in this room finds himself pondering the things of self on a regular basis. Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, had a neighbor who saw Lincoln go by in his buggy one day with, with his two children, his two sons, and he said, he came to Lincoln and said, well, I, I don't understand something. Um, when I saw you go by, he said, your boys were fighting and screaming at the top of their lungs. And Abraham Lincoln said, it's the same matter that the entire world has. My boys have the same problem the entire world has. I have three walnuts and each boy wants two. Simple but profound. You always want what somebody else has. You always wish that you were at the place of someone else. I think this was what Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 2 where he actually talks about this emptying of self. He says, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of his deity, de deity being that I'm all God and all man, and took on the status of a slave and became, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. They call this the kenosis, 
the self-emptying. It is a good thing every once in a while to be reminded that we need to die to self. Because indeed, it is not all about me, and it is not all about now. It is about dying to Christ to understand the lesson that Christ came to allow us to learn. Romans 12, Paul says this, I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace. It's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing your goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. We're going to fall miserably short if we start evaluating and laying out how much we're giving to God. I expect to be recompensed for what I do on this earth, you say. You know, an hour's work deserves an hour's wages. But the truth be known to all of us, we all deserve hell. Right? We are so blessed by the grace of God that is new every single day. Dwight O. Moody said this, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition in the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. We must be emptied before we can be filled That is kenosis. Empty yourself out right now. You might be going to church. You may have gone to many churches trying to find a place where you can feel the fullness of the Holy Spirit and just don't find it. And perhaps it is not the fault of the church, but indeed the fault of you who sits there thinking it's all about you and it's all about now. Die to self this minute. Give it up. Give it up. Right now you can pray this. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that I will be emptied, emptied of my excuses, empty of my lust, empty of my greed, empty of my jealousy of other people, empty of my bitterness, empty of my critical spirit, empty of my ho-hum, eeyore mentality that makes me miserable most of my life. And let God free you. I was struggling this week big time, not just because my wife was sick, but because I was brokenhearted about something. Couldn't sleep for two nights. And my wife, who is a godly woman, she came to the kitchen counter in her sickness and and she slid over two books to me on prayer. And she said, I want you to just stop right now and pray those prayers in there. And I thought, I don't pray written prayers. I pray my own prayers to God. But I prayed it with her. Went to bed that night, had a miserable night. Woke up the next morning and I said, I think my attitude was wrong when I prayed those prayers. I need to try this again, Lord. I went out to the kitchen, sat down on the counter early in the morning, and out loud I prayed the same prayers. They were so powerful. Now making this up. Immediately I felt the deliverance of God. Instantly God flowed into the room and flowed through me. And I had immediate victory over this thorn in the flesh. You know how Satan loves to give you thorns in the flesh? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know how that is. He is the master of contempt, hate, and has one desire. That's to steal, kill, or destroy your joy. But Christ has come to set you free this morning. You got a reason to shout hallelujah.
You got a reason to dance this morning. You got a reason to smile this morning. You got a reason to have joy because Christ has set us free. By the grace of God, we do what we do for God, not for accolades, not because the pastor will like me, not because it's going to get me something else, but because I already have Christ. I am set free. You could get up here right now and dance. You could get up here now. I'm serious. If Christ has set you free, you could get up here and you wouldn't care if anybody thought you were a fool. You would just start square dancing if you were my parents. I told you my, my parents had one big, huge goal in, in our life as, as kids. My brother had to play the accordion. I had to play the piano. And we had to have a polka band. They rolled up the rug in our family room and invited their friends over, and it was like, oh, my gosh, God help us. Whew, those days are gone. I sometimes wonder what Josiah thinks about his mom and dad when he has to endure our fanaticism at times because sometimes you just get kind of fanatic. You know, it's, you're enjoying God so much you, you can't help but scream. Anybody in here feel like screaming sometimes? How about now? Weak. Ooh. Really, really, really weak. You have a cold, okay? That's, a, that's all right. Good. All right, one more try. Ready? That actually hurt. Mm -hmm. that, that was good, though. Okay. The oddest thing about selfishness and greed is this. It never sees what it owes. It always seems to see what it is is owed. If you start looking at things differently and say, I'm not going to look at what I think I'm owed, but I'm going to look at what God has done for me already and what I owe back and return to him. Changes everything. The night before Jesus died, he and his disciples celebrated Passover in the upper room. And before he began supper, Jesus showed his disciples his care for them, by kneeling down and, and, and doing an act which was basically for the lowest servant because they wore sandals on their feet and their feet were always dusty and dirty. The tradition was that if you come to eat at someone's house, their feet would be washed. This night it was no different. Jesus got down and he took the task that was reserved for the servants and he actually washed the feet of someone who he knew was about to miserably betray him to death. After the foot washing, the men partook in traditional Passover dinner. Alluding to his death, Jesus declared that the bread represented his broken body. I have some right down here partaking together. The bread represented his broken body and that the wine actually represented his blood, which was about to be shed. If I were one of the disciples there in that place at that time, I think I would have been thinking to myself, I I'm, I'm really starting to feel bewildered about all this. Isn't he the Messiah? Isn't he, he going to rule and reign? Isn't that why we've been, we've been following him? Don't we deserve better than you abandoning us? Come on, Jesus, you can't be talking about death. We've come with you for three years now. What you talking about? He's telling him he's about ready to leave. During the supper, Jesus predicted that Judas 
without saying his name, would betray him. And Judas left the meal. I find it extremely interesting that betrayal always seems to be connected to selfishness and greed. Always. Somehow, it has become all about you and all about now. And if you can just be satisfied by the now and the you and your future, then everything will be okay. But that is the mentality of a Judas. They will betray. And Jesus washed his feet anyway. See, greed is a slippery slope. In 1988, there was a film called Wall Street. And Michael Douglas paid, played the main character by the name of Gordon Gecko. And Gecko said this in the movie. He actually, this was the theme that he had to present to everyone. 1988, greed is good. Greed is good. Now you say, well, I don't agree with that. Obviously, Pastor, if you asked me if I thought greed was good, I would tell you no. But in reality, we do more than we even think. Because we always want a little more. We think that this would be so good if God would just pay these bills for us. I say this all the time. God is good if he doesn't pay the bills. Sometimes God is gooder. I'm not looking at my wife. She's a grammar Nazi. I say it. I always tell her, honey, I said that for special effect. Yes. God is not better and bigger and more powerful if you get what you ask. That's not even correct teaching. God is good. End of statement. God is good. All the time. Right? Yeah, God is so good, you ought to jump up and down and shout, praise the Lord. He just made a three-pointer. Oh, yeah, you can do it for that. Oh, yeah, you're, you could shout about the final four. Yeah, 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 you could, you could shout about getting a big buck. You could shout about Marshalls being the greatest place to shop in the whole city because you get the best deals for less. You can run there. It's amazing how we can run to what we want to run to, but when you say, can you pick it up, honey? I don't go that fast. If you say, Marshalls is having a sale, your speed picks up. We shout about what we want to shout about, don't we? Yeah, we do. We shout about what we believe in. We shout about that. And so after the foot washing takes place, Judas now gets up and leaves. So Gecko says, Greed is good, but then 20 years later, something happened. 1988, 98, 2008. Hmm. Remember 2008, what happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember that? It brought in a new wave to Americans because of the financial condition of the country. We elected a new president who would be our president for eight years who would take the country a completely different direction. 20 years later, the film did a sequel. Same main character, Mr. Gecko. But this time, he did not say greed is good. He actually said this in the movie. Greed and its consequences are weapons of mass destruction. Yes, they are. 
Greed and its consequences are weapons of mass destruction. A global economic crisis that stemmed from insatiable greed of millions of people made us think differently. There was a prominent man who gave examples of how greed can lead to destruction. When Oliver Kahn, legendary German goalie and today a prominent soccer commentator, analyzes the game, he often says this, that the winning team was greedier, is the word he used. In other words, they wanted to win more than their opponents. Greed enters every facet of life. You want your team to win. Everybody's cheering for someone right now, but we don't even understand and don't know how to answer the question in reality. Well, what is greed, Pastor? How do I know if I'm greedy? See, the line between, and, and not just want to be successful, because I think that most of us would like to be successful in life. We just have to be careful that greed isn't all consuming and take over. The line between success driven and greedy driven is very narrow. To determine what separates one from the other, we have to consult Miriam and Webster. They describe greed as a selfish and excessive desire for more of something as money than is needed. Hmm. So what is needed? We're just not making it. We're just not making it financially. We just need more. Pastor, we need more. We, we can't make our bills. I find this through traveling around the world that there is nowhere in the world that people have as much as we have. Nowhere in the world will you find air-conditioned heated rooms like this with soft chairs and an hour and 15 or 20 and maybe long service where we're at comfortable and complain as much. You really, really need to come to Vietnam with me and see that they have no furniture, the floors are filthy, there's a lean-to metal roof over their head that has holes in it with buckets underneath it to stop the rain. It's crazy. They look forward to eating a bowl of rice a day, and you're complaining that you can't make it. You need to change your lifestyle and change your thinking. Yes, you do. We all do. Patrick Mussel, a leading researcher on the topic of greed at the University of Wasburg in Germany, explains greed as striving excessively toward material goods. He also said, according to our definition, a greedy person stands out in their desire for more, mm -mm -mm -mm, even at the expense of others. I want you to see what the scripture has to say. Because the case was such with Judas. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here. Now, i got to stop there to, to interject this so you can follow the story. Jesus, who goes to the Garden of Gethsemane all the time, that's a frequented place by him and his disciples, decides he knows that his death is coming soon, and he decides, I need to go because this is going to be a tough deal to go through. 
You know what you do when you know you're having surgery, you have cancer, or you've got some illness that you, there's no way it would have to be a miracle for you to, to, to um, be freed from this? You, you ask the people that you believe will pray and are closest to you to pray, don't you? And so this is what he says. He says to his other three pastors, oh, excuse me, the other three disciples that are with him, Peter, James, and John, his closest. He says, I need you to go with me because something is about to happen. Little did they know what was about to happen. Have you ever watched the Passion of the Christ in the scene where they actually beat Jesus? You can barely stomach it. Peter, James, and John are there with them in Gethsemane, and he says, I, I need you to go with me. My father, if it be, and, and this is what he said while he got face down. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And then just in the same breath, nevertheless, I, God, I had, to, I had to say this. If it's your will, I need to go through this. He knew what was coming because he was God. His deity dictates that it was all God and all man. He had the power, if he wanted to, to stop the thing from happening right there, but he didn't because he did not come so that he would not redeem mankind. He came with a mission, and he stayed focused. Do you know how many people I know that go into ministry that end up out of ministry because of greed? I'm not just talking financial greed. I'm talking attitude issues. I deserve better than this. I'm treated like garbage. I need, I need better than this. I should have better than this. And their greed rolls through their mind constantly as they think about other things that they could do if they had more money, if they didn't have all these hours, and blah, blah, blah. And he says to these guys, I want you to, to go with me. And then he prayed that prayer. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. If you want to make a pastor really feel like garbage, go to sleep while he's preaching. I have it all the time. There's guys out there. Yeah, amen. Hallelujah. But their head's been bobbing for minutes. There's guys in this room that are not thinking at all about what I'm talking about this morning. They're thinking about hunting and fishing and getting, getting on vacation. And all of you that now have your beautiful tans, beautiful tans, Incredibly tan right now. You've been tanning for weeks. And you're going to hit the road this week. You're going to have your vehicle all packed up. And you're going to say, California, here we come. No, in, in, in Michigan, it's Florida, which sucks, I think. But anyway, all these people are headed to, and, oh, I, so that I can be politically correct here and not make everyone mad at me, everybody needs a break. We do. We all need a break. We all deserve vacation. We, yeah, we need a break today. We... I say this about vacations. Anticipation is the best part of it. Because when you get in that vehicle and your kids are saying, when are we going to be there and you're only half hour toward Florida? You are like, shoot me, God. Shoot me. Just shoot me now, Jesus. Because you got 20-some more hours. You got the Benadryl and sleeping pills and and everything imaginary packed in there. You've ground them up and put them in the ham sandwiches. <laughs> Seriously. It's like, woo! I will never drive to Florida again. It was so far. Good, good for all of you that want to join all the West Michiganders in a massive, it's like, it's like the Muslims going to the Mecca. I'm not kidding, it is. You know this is true about vacations. Vacations are better when you think about them than when we're actually doing them. 
To me, this is an amazing day today because the sun is shining in Michigan. You're driving down the road. Yeah, you're driving down the road, and it's sunny outside. You're going, happy days. Oh, God, spring is here, and then you open the door. God, we should have worn a court today and boots. It's like still freezing outside. Oh, God, please send spring. Then I'll be complaining because things are growing in my yard, and I don't have my mulch down, and blah, blah, blah. So he said, so the disciples are sleeping, and Jesus in, in agony because he knows he's about to die. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. i get back to that in a second. He says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, the second time, he went away and prayed some more. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he went away one more time and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later, because you're going to be missing me in just a little bit. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Whew. I'm wondering sometimes if Jesus was more concerned and fearful of the horrible beatings he was going to get, or if he was more brokenhearted by the betrayal of his own closest followers and friends. There is nothing, let me say this, there is nothing more heartbreaking than being betrayed by people that you thought were on your page. You understand this? You agree? There's nothing worse than your spouse cheating on you, than your kids not wanting to be with you, than people at work talking behind your back and you're not aware of it. There is nothing worse than betrayal. Oh, we don't call it betrayal. We just call it, I'm just fighting for my rights. Do you remember it's not about you and it's not about now? Do you remember that all that is going to bring into your life is not happiness but misery? You may remember back to Tim Timothy McVeigh in Oklahoma City and what he did years ago. It was absolutely wicked. He decided that he had the right to plant a bomb at a government building not even considering the fact that in that government building was a daycare facility. And many, many children died as a result of his hatred and bitterness. And when confronted about what he thought about what he did to those kids whose parents would now have to grieve with the loss of their children, he called it collateral damage. Let me just say this. There is collateral damage Every time me is first. Yes, there is. Every time you think that your situation is different and you have a right to undermine, to betray, to whatever, you think that you have a right, man, because your wife doesn't treat you the way you would expect. She thinks she has the right to go out and do this because her husband doesn't treat her right. If we die to self, we realize we have no rights. That we are always overwhelmed and covered with the grace of Jesus Christ. Take a step back this morning. Take a step back and think what Christ went through. 
this man who killed all these innocent children in that building that day, he quoted a poem called Invictus, which concludes with these lines. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Many of us have the same attitude. I'm only expecting what is fair. If you got what was fair, you would be dead. You agree? If you got what you deserved this morning, you would not be sitting in the room. Die to self. As soon as Judas took the bread in the upper room that night, Satan entered. The Bible says this. Satan entered him. Demonic activity is everywhere. It's already in this room this morning. Demonic activity comes through a series of things, things that you actually think are not sin. But every time that we think of ourself more than we think of the collateral damage that it will cause, we are in sin. You got it? Are you with me? There's, there's people yawning out there, ready to go to sleep. Jesus, will you, Jesus, take the wheel. Take the wheel, Jesus. Because Jesus had to tell his disciples three times, it's not that bad. It really isn't that bad. It's his last night. Can't you pray with him? I asked this morning out of the whole praise team and the workers in the church, because we meet here at 830. There's 25 or 30 of us. Meet right here in the front. I already give, gave them a message this morning. I asked, how many of you prayed on the way to church this morning? Five. I would like to propose this. There's collateral damage by your no desire to have God involved in your day, in your decision. You got that? In your decisions, in your hurts, in your pain, in your agony, in all the things that are coming today. How do you make it without God? How do you make it without praying? How do you make it? Where do you get your wisdom and advice from? As soon as Judas took the bread, it all started. Now, if you go to Cedar Point, you understand this. If, we, if I go with the other pastors and we go first thing in the morning, we wait for that gate to open, we got our running shoes on. We are going to run for Millennial Forest. This last time we went, we decided that it would be better if I was in a wheelchair. <laughs> Not making this up. We thought of a better way to satisfy self. We wanted to be at the beginning of the line. <laughs> of course, it was close to the time I had my knee replacement. It's awesome to have Kathy Menner back after her knee replacement. It's so good to see her walking so well. And I could relate to that. But So I'm in this wheelchair, and I'm feeling like, oh, God, I feel like an old crippled person. I still have a couple more years before this. But getting in that wheelchair, we got the, oh, my goodness, it was awesome. The dragster, everybody's looking at us like, we should kill you. Hmm. This insatiable desire inside of us for more, for something that we don't have. We don't understand how Satan wants to use greed and selfishness to destroy us. The greatest atrocity in history was about to take place 
and three of the closest followers of Christ, only one of which, by the way, only one, John, went all the way to the cross with Jesus. Only one. Peter and James miserably turned against the Lord. It was an intense time in the garden. It was a very intense time in the garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is praying, and now the serpent has entered the picture. Passion of Christ did a good job of portraying this. Scripture actually records this. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is now at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. If you have ever experienced any sort of betrayal, it leaves you speechless. It leaves you in agony of soul. Judas probably had gone to the place where they had eaten supper, the last supper, together, and not finding Jesus there, because remember, Judas got up and left. Not finding Jesus there, he went to the most frequented place by our Savior Jesus Christ. He went where heaven met with the disciples through prayer. And that's where he found the Savior. And he kissed him. This kiss was a common mode of greeting, and Judas 
chose that sign and actually kissed him fervently. Beware of people who have the kiss of a friend but the sting of the enemy through betrayal type things. The strong word was used here to kiss fervently is what it meant. And so he had all these soldiers with him, and he had prepared the way, and it was there he grabbed Jesus and gave him a kiss. And I'm sure that the Savior had to be thinking, how can you do this? You were with me these years. You saw the miracles. You helped perform these miracles. How can you just betray and walk away? How can you even suggest that if I don't do what you want, that you will not be with me anymore? Therefore, they laid hands on him in a hostile sense. It says, the chief priests and Pharisees had furnished Judas, a band of soldiers from the garrison of Antonia, and the temple police with swords, knives, staves, with a hired rabble who had lanterns in spite of the full moon. Judas was taking no chance of failure. They seized Jesus and led him away. The elaborate kiss emphasizes the hypocrisy of Judas. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sweet are the kisses of an enemy. It, as Barclay, one commentator states, he said, the most terrible kiss in history. This was the most terrible kiss of all times. You know what Isaiah says about our Savior? The prophet Isaiah said he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. His punishment brought peace, was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We're all like sheep who go astray. Each one of us turns to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When Jesus needed his disciples the most, they were gone. They were impulsive, and then they were gone. He was now all alone, and the weight of the whole world was on his shoulders. He could have easily walked away and said, no one here deserves this, but he didn't. No one deserves this. I, I have a recipe for misery for us this morning. If you wish, this is on the last page, ladies. If you wish to be miserable, think about yourself, about what you need and what you would like and what you want, what respect people ought to pay you, and then to you nothing will be pure. You will spoil everything you touch. You will make misery for yourself out of everything good. You will be as wretched as you choose. My heart actually breaks when I see what Christ has done for us and our nonchalant attitude about it. You alone, God. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I don't care if you think I'm crazy and I'm not doing this to be sensational. But you alone, God, save me from myself. You alone, Jesus, are my satisfaction, my joy, and my comfort in times of need. Yes, you alone, Jesus, can satisfy us. You did not stop what you came to do. Of all weeks out of the year, this should be the week when we praise him the most, right? 
Yes, how about a, that guy is new and he's clapping. How about the rest of you? Woo! My goal is to make you mad. I watch and I see what people bravo about on Facebook and I think, but I never see you cheer about God and what Jesus has done. He's powerful. He's supernatural. He has extended grace to you this morning or you wouldn't be in the room. You know when you sit there guilty is when you knew that you've been complaining constantly about not having enough and you need better this and better that and I don't know, I don't know how disappointed you are to everyone around you instead of going up to somebody today and saying, oh, I feel like I'm going to dance right now because Jesus is so good. I can't even keep it inside. Oh, hallelujah, praise the Lamb. Right? Hallelujah, praise the Lamb. Do we, should we be fanatics? Yeah. Should we, should, should we in life as Christian walk the even road? Yeah, but don't stay there. Run as if you were in a race. Huh? Run, the, the Scripture says, as if you were in a race because the hour is at hand. You get it? The hour is at hand when the Savior will once again, and I say this to every believer in here, step, break through the crowds, the clouds, and, and come for every Christian who sits in this room. The trumpet will sound and he will come for us to go to be with him. We should run the race living that way like we believe it. I find it interesting that he said, rise, let us be going, see my betrayers at hand. And then these are the most hurtful words you could read. So they all forsook him and fled. They all forsook him and fled. The praise band's coming because I want you to think about this as you leave today. They fled and he bled. They got, they wanted nothing to do with the trials that were coming, the scourging that was coming, the beating that was coming. They wanted no part in it. They, they fled. They ran away. I say there is no part in the kingdom of heaven for a person who is a coward when it comes to standing up for Jesus. Right? There is no place in the kingdom of heaven for those who can't shout down here because of who he is. A shout. Okay, visitors, I'm giving you a break here. You're not used to shouting at church. So we're going to give you permission to give a shout to God this time. So everybody's going to do it together. Led by Bob right up in front here, right? Big shout to God. Ready? Because yeah. he is worthy. He is worthy all year long of us with adoration and praise and thanksgiving to the one who died for us. This week, hallelujah, praise the Lamb. Easter Sunday is your opportunity next week to bring your visitors, your family, and your friends because more people attend church on Easter Sunday than any other time of the year. This is your opportunity to introduce them to a Savior right here in this place. Let's do this together. They fled, and he bled. Oh, God, I'm coming against every evil spirit with my eyes open in prayer right now, every evil demonic snake 
that goes after people to make them think that just a little more and I'll be happy. That's a lie. You could choose to be happy right